when we pulled into the airport last night at the entrance where you go through a toll booth, a security guard, every time I've ever gone into the airport, is there to greet you. And a young woman got onto our bus to look at us because she was told by the driver that we were a group of Americans who had been volunteering for a week. And she didn't believe him. She wanted to see it with her own eyes. That's what she said. Good afternoon, and welcome to episode two of the OJC Podcast Project. My name is Matt Shearing, and I am your host. It is Friday, early afternoon, November 17th, and we have the same trio of guests that we had during our first podcast, although circumstances are slightly different than they were a few weeks ago. I'm going to ask them to please introduce themselves. Rabbi Paula McTurrell. Rabbi Ami Hirsch. And Rabbi Craig Sheff. It's indeed a blessing to have you with us here again. And as many of you listening to this may know, uh, two of our rabbis have just returned from a mission trip in Israel. And that seems like the perfect place to start. So if you would, uh, Rabbi Hirsch and Rabbi Sheff, I know you're probably still processing this past week away, but if you could share with us some top line thoughts and things that you're thinking about as you've now returned home, we'd We'd love to hear your first-hand account. We're only off the plane a few hours at this point, so it's there are, there's still a lot to process. But um, it was a very impactful trip, very emotional, um, very rewarding, and very difficult all at the same time. I think my first takeaway is to really realize and just recognize more than I've ever realized before that we are truly, as Jews, one people with one language, with one shared voice, in the midst of a project that we're working on together as world Jewry. And that project is Israel. And throughout our week together in Israel, we were able to work not only with our OJC members, but with Israelis on the ground. And that, I think, was the most important part of the trip to all of us, or at least to me, but I think to most of the people in the group, to be able to recognize that we were all doing the same types of things with the Americans, with the Israelis, to take a country that's in the midst still of trauma and crisis and recognize that with the long road ahead that Israel has, and it's a very long road on many different levels, that there's so much resiliency and so much hope for what will be, and that the language they speak there and the language we speak here is really one shared common language of the Jewish people that is playing out in the land of Israel. I have a lot to say about the trip itself and the fact that we've been doing this kind of a mission for the past 18 years only be to be interrupted one time by COVID and the way in which this trip was different from all the others because of the circumstances under which we went. But if I'm forced to be processing the content of the trip itself as opposed to the experience of the individuals coming together as a community, I would say that what struck me most was the through line everywhere we went of the people taking responsibility for their situation, for their future, for their restoration of resilience with the recognition that they have a government that failed them and that 
continues to be ineffective in providing for the needs of the people. So the need, so the people are providing for one another. And that is as Jewish an idea as any. The idea that we as a Jewish people invented societies to take care of each other, which are born out in larger society today, burial societies, free loan societies, all of these people-driven ways of caring for one another. And that's what we're seeing in Israel today, people taking care of each other. They don't even call themselves volunteers. They just say, this is what we do because we're people of this society, and that's what our responsibility is to each other. Wow, that sounds powerful. A question that I'm, I've got to ask because the way the, the news, the way the narrative is playing out here in the U.S. is one way, and I'm wondering, actually it's a two-part question. Is there awareness in Israel the way it's the news and the narrative are playing here in the U.S.? And is the way the narrative is being played in Israel markedly different? If I may, the narrative that the Israelis are hearing right now is that it's safer to be in Israel than it is to be a Jew in America. That what they are hearing about anti-Semitism and seeing about and reporting about anti-Semitism is more frightening to them than the reality that they are dealing with. If you're asking about the narrative of the war, of the conflict, that's a different question and very complex to answer because so much of this conflict is being played out on social media here in the United States. And in Israel, it's about what's happening on the ground. It's about soldiers coming back and telling their stories about what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. It's a very different way of the narrative being told. And frankly, Israel's PR system has always been poor. And in a sense, for the international audience, it's playing right into the hands of its enemies once again in the way it is sharing the narrative. Because Israel wants to paint this as black and white. And at some degree, they're playing directly to this audience because we want to characterize it as black and white, as good versus evil. And for them, at some level, that's what it is. But there's also a great, a great concern about what tomorrow will bring, what happens after this conflict. And Israelis are dealing with that, wrestling with that as well. I second everything Rabbi Chef shared, and just would add one more piece of the difference of narratives. We were in a country that is at war, but we were not in a war zone. And I want to make sure everyone understands that. I think there's an understanding here in the United States that... Um, even amongst people who really understand what's going on, that this is a country that feels like a war zone. And every place that we were in, I believe we all felt safe. And as you drive up and down the streets in Jerusalem and certainly throughout Tel Aviv and many other parts of the country, people are returning slowly to normalcy in their life. They are sitting at restaurants and cafes. Kids primarily are back in schools right now as well. Traffic jams on the highways. Traffic jams on the highways. Yes, the airport felt emptier because there are fewer tourists. Yes, visiting the Kotel, the Western Wall Plaza, felt different because there were fewer tourists. And there's a heaviness to everything going on. But we were in a country for a week, and it did not feel like a war zone. It felt very safe. Well, that's fascinating and illuminating at once. 
I want to turn to Rabbi Drill and ask you, this last week or so, what was it like uh, with your two rabbi peers and so many of our congregants in Israel? Talk to us about that experience. Thanks. I want to answer that question on two levels, first personal and then as one of the rabbis of OJC. Personally, I just really wanted my kids to be in the arms of my two rabbis. It felt really important to me for Josh and Shai to be able to be embraced by Rabbi Hirsch and Rabbi Schaff. Um, I think most people who've been following the trip know also that Sagiz, my son-in-law's mother, Racheli, came and joined everyone on Wednesday night. I've been talking to her about every other day. And it was really important to me that she was able to tell her story to my people, to my OJCers. It was cathartic for her to speak to an American audience for the first time. She needs to tell her story. She's been through trauma and felt so responsible for Sagi and Carmel at a time when Sarah's, today's her due date. <laughs> so she knew she had to get, nothing's happening yet, everybody, so don't get excited. Um, it felt so important to me and so healing for me to know that my Racheli was embraced by my OJC people. But most of all, just to know that my kid and his fiance were with my two rabbis. That felt healing for me in a very deep way. For the community at large, we just waited for their posts and waited to see what they had done each day, to see the pictures and to feel that they were there for us. And two rabbis, another rabbi, a colleague of ours, um, Steve Friedman and his wife Joan from the Bergen Schechter, being there together with our congregants and some friends, I felt that they were putting their feet on the ground for all of us. And so I felt strangely optimistic for those four days, thinking like we are really connected in a way that we have not been for a while. Like it's no secret that I am not a big fan of the government that was in place. And I've felt not happy with Israel. October 8th, I woke up to a very different experience of Israel, that I love Israel, that I want to be there for Israel. And the fact that we went, like we always do, and like we've never done before, made me feel really proud. So this past week was also a massive rally in Washington, D.C. Say the number, say the number. 300,000? Amazing. I'm, I've got a question for all of you. So I'd love to hear all of your perspectives on it, and specifically from Rabbi Sheff and Rabbi Hirsch. Did that news reach you in Israel? And if so, how did that resonate with you or with Israelis with whom you were spending time? Uh, what did that mean to them? And Rabbi Drill, what did that mean to you as a, as a faith leader here? The news definitely met us in Israel. We were following carefully what was happening here on the ground through social media. We even sent a message to the community as they were boarding their buses. First of all, great pride in knowing that our OJC community and our Rockland Jewish community sent so many people down to a rally. Um, felt great. And I think for Israelis, what we heard from them as they heard about this and understood the magnitude of it, they were really 
pleased to know that other people had their backs and it felt like people were standing up for them. The fact that the number of 300,000 people gathered on the mall in DC, which by the way, I believe they were reporting was the largest Jewish gathering in the United States ever perhaps, if I had read correctly, equaled the number of people roughly that had been called up as soldiers in the IDF speaks to the magnitude of what happened in both places. Um, it's a powerful statement what happened in this country this week on Tuesday and Israel heard it and felt it. And in general, I think Israel is feeling like America really has their backs right now in really profound ways that I don't remember hearing in a very, very long time. We learned from Rabbi Joel Levy of the Fuchsburg Center, the conservative yeshiva uh, at the Fuchsburg Center who was talking about President Biden and the military support and the stance that the military took in sending warships and in being prepared to participate in a real level of support, making no equivocation about where we stood on the matter as Americans, it was very important to them. Rabbi Hirsch mentioned the 300,000 and the 300,000. The phrase we heard this week was amechad levechad, one people, one heart. It was pointed out to me that if you take the 300,000 reservists and the 300,000 Americans, you get the total of 600,000, which was, according to our tradition, the number of Jews who came out of Egypt, men over the age of 20, of fighting age, and that truly to comprise 600,000 Jews standing together was like the moment we stood together to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. And what a beautiful image, what a beautiful play on, on these numbers, this notion that truly we might have been split by an ocean, we stood together uh, at this time. Can I just add one more thing we heard over and over again in Israel, which was the phrase, lo muvan me love. It is not a given, it is not clear that certain things were going to happen. It was not muvan me love. It was not clear the United States government was gonna to choose to stand up in the voice that they have in um, support of Israel. It was not Muvan Melav. It was not a given that 300,000 people in America would choose to take buses for hours and hours at a time or fly in from all over the country to march on Washington the way they did. And it was not Muvan Melav. It was not a given that Americans would choose to come like our group did to Israel to be there to volunteer, to support on the ground. And that concept, that phrase, Lo Muvan Melav, it was not a given resonated and came up over and over again as a theme throughout our time in Israel as well. Wow. Wow. Not a given. Well, Matt, I watched the rally on the live stream holding down the home port. So proud, as, as Rabbi Hirsch said, of the buses that went. I felt for the first time in, at that point, I guess it was 37 days, affirmed as a Jew held by community and feeling whispers of hope because of that day. Um, we've been saying, you've been saying it, Matt, and we've been saying, these are hard times. Be in community. Come to community. And we've seen it. We've seen people coming to synagogue more. We saw it at the programs we had for Kristallnacht and the Sisterhood. And all these things have had really great turnouts because people want to be together. And then I magnify it by an entire country of American Jews, knowing that standing together like that 
would feel affirming. So I am so glad that it happened, amazed that it happened. Um, and for those who went, I know it was transformative. My kids were there. Sagi, an Israeli, stood with American Jews for the first time in his life, you know, walking around. He said you could see every kind of Jew present on that day. So I'm really grateful that it, that it happened and grateful that our community was in Israel at that time. So we were truly standing here and, and there. So I, asked, I have to ask this question because it's haunting me the last few days, and that is, how do we hold on to that feeling? You mentioned not a given. We've talked, Rabbi Jill, you and I, about the concept of lo levad, not alone. As the vitriol continues through social media and the power of a moment can fade uh, in the days or weeks after that coming together, how do we hold on to that sense of belonging, that sense of togetherness? What, what if anything, have the people that you've spent time with in Israel, what words would they have for us? How might they encourage us to keep it together and to stay strong, this notion of one heart? What? It's an interesting question because they don't experience Jewish life the way we do. They continue to live it. So their resilience is about going back to work. It's about living their lives, about going to the beach. It's about occupying the parks. It's about fighting for a government and for change in the government, recognizing that change has to come if things are going to change from a security perspective for the people. And that's that occupies so much of their energy, thinking about whether there can be another uh, election, whether we have to wait two years before that election to come. So all that is part of their thinking. I'd like us to take us back to our first podcast. And I think it was at that first podcast that we were talking about the words of our colleague, Rabbi Rob Scheinberg, who was teaching at the seminary um, in a group of mentors and mentees my my context might be off might be off but he was quoting this notion of the heroic phase followed by the phase of disillusionment that like coming like in covid we were in this heroic phase but after all that energy is spent we could experience a sense of disillusionment our synagogue didn't experience the disillusionment i believe because we engaged in the strategic planning process during the time of the heroic phase such that the implementation of that plan and all the work continued into that phase of potential disillusionment, like a, a waning of that energy. And here we're, we're still going. I think it's similar now, that we're in that heroic phase now. We're raising money for Israel. We're coming together in numbers. How do we prepare for what follows, that inevitable drain, that, that sense off, of, right, right the drop-off? Well, maybe it's about planning now for that time of the drop-off. Maybe it's about programming now for the springtime mm. and, and building up the, the energy now for the type of Israel programming that we're going to offer for Yom HaAtzma'ut or, or for Hanukkah, for just constantly looking forward in this time to what we might be doing months from now to sustain that energy and that care and that love. I like the optimism in that sentiment. I do. Yeah. We had the chance to speak one of the nights we were together with a young man who grew up in our camp and to some degree in our OJC extended family as well, who is a soldier in the midst of his reserve duty. And he had been spent, had just spent three weeks in Gaza 
with his battalion, by chance was out for 48 hours while we happened to be in Israel. And we had the chance to sit with him and hug him and feed him a lot of food as well. And he was going back in. In fact, he went back in with his battalion this morning. And besides sending him back with cards from our OJC kids, I asked him, what could we do to be helpful to him or to his friends in the army? And besides anything else he said, his answer was, we just want to know that people are continuing to think about us. And that really has stuck with me. So what we can do, I think, is making sure that we understand some of the stories and we can continue to hold them as our own as we think about people. And that was also true as we walked all over the country. There are posters and banners of the 200 and almost 40 people still held as hostages right now. And you just need to look at those faces and look into those eyes one time, I think, to remember that these are kids who are not with their parents and parents who are not with their kids and grandparents who are missing their families, and we hold on to their stories. And that's how I think we don't let go of this at any point. I spoke with our past president and good friend Amy Nelson, who, as we all know, made Aliyah, lives in Israel now. She said to me, she was at the airport when the group arrived, and she said to me, when they walked out of the airport, the feeling was unlike anything I can put words to. She said they didn't have to pick one strawberry or weed one eggplant or pack any of the vests with ceramic. They could have just walked out of that airport into my arms, and it would have been enough for me. And I was thinking about how we, sitting on the mezzanine, right, not, as I said, not, in the, not on the stage, but on the mezzanine here, can reach out. And that's how we let them know we're not forgetting don't stop calling. Don't stop writing emails to the people we know. And as I've offered before, if there are people listening to the podcast who don't know personally someone living in Israel, ask one of us and we'll give them pen pals. Israelis want to know that we're with them. And I don't want Amy to lose the feeling that we are with her, with her son and son-in-law who are serving right now. I don't want her to think we're forgetting. Beautiful. Last question. This one's for Rabbi Shep and Rabbi Hirsch specifically. You said that being in Israel felt different this time than at any other time. I'm going to guess that being home from Israel right now feels different than it has at any other time. I'd like to ask each of you, what are you going to miss about Israel in the days and weeks ahead. It was really hard to say goodbye to my sister. It was really hard to watch my mother say goodbye to her daughter. It was a lot harder to say goodbye this time because I've never felt that being there was as important as it was this time around. And we've been there in tough times before when people thanked us for coming. But this time, we were the only ones there. So to leave, it, didn't, it wasn't like we were abandoning them. It was just that it was hard to say goodbye because we knew how much it meant to them that we were, in fact, there.
when we pulled into the airport last night at the entrance where you go through a toll booth, a security guard, every time I've ever gone into the airport, is there to greet you. And a young woman got onto our bus to look at us because she was told by the driver that we were a group of Americans who had been volunteering for a week. And she didn't believe him. She wanted to see it with her own eyes. That's what she said. And she got on the bus and thanked us for being there. To be able to live in a country for a week where everyone understands the heaviness that we are feeling, and you live it by walking, and you live it by talking, and you live it just by existing, is different when you get on that plane to come back here. And it's hard to be back leaving that behind. I hope it's not too many weeks till we get to go back. Amen. Amen to that. On behalf of the entire ODC community, I want to thank you for leading the trip. On behalf of our community, I'm deeply grateful for your safe return. Wish each of you a Shabbat Shalom. And for those of you who are listening to this, may your Thanksgiving be restful, happy, and healthy. You're listening to the OJC Podcast Project, and God bless you all. Shabbat Shalom. I'm Yisrael Chai.